Hey there, and welcome to the Restoration Living Podcast. My name is James Johnson, and I am excited that you have chosen to spend time with us today. The goal of this podcast is to show that God's heart for each of us is to come back home to Him in order for us to experience a restoration of peace, joy, and growth in our lives. We do this by digging deep into God's Word in order to find timeless truths that we can apply in our lives today. So let's get out our Bibles and take another step down this path of restoration living together. When I was a hospital chaplain working in North Georgia, I had the oncology department as one of the areas I covered and one of the young patients that I spent time with was a six-year-old boy who was dying of leukemia and as I worked with his parents I found out that they believed in the Hindu faith and as we worked together their common refrain the thing they often said to the young boy was his cancer was simply his karma that he was suffering in this life because of something he did bad in his past life and so the only thing they could do was endure it believing that his suffering in this life would make his next life better and I have to tell you as I worked with those precious people the struggle was very real in their minds and their hearts as they wrestled with this worldview that all human suffering is used to pay off past karma in order to one day attain what Hindus call moksha which is the release back into the universe to be at peace once again with a Brahman and that sounds pretty nice in a pulpit or in the pages of some sacred text but when it's your young child your six-year-old little boy suffering and dying ultimately they found no peace in the belief of karma and I don't say that to you to bash on another faith hopefully if you've listened to this podcast long enough you know that my heart is not to insult or belittle or begrudge or condemn somebody with a belief set outside of the Christian faith but what I want to help you see is that only the worldview that Jesus teaches us that the Christian worldview is the only one that makes sense of the human experience of our earthly realities the teachings of Hinduism did not give that family peace or hope. It actually minimized and belittled that young boy as he went through the suffering he endured before his death with that terrible, vicious cancer. The problem is that we have this ingrained idea of karma in our Western culture that beginning in the 60s and 70s, the the new... um, this new generation that came brought this what we call new age beliefs which is a blending of eastern mysticism with western practices and as we began to import these eastern beliefs karma came with it 
Karma is such a common word in our culture that we use it to describe all kinds of things. We talk about how, you know, this idea of what goes around comes around. That I met with somebody one time that they, you know, felt like what they were going through. Man, I've worked out hard. I've I've eaten well. And man, it's just karma that life is going my way right now health-wise. And the problem is the surface of karma matches with reality. This idea of if I plant a seed and nurture it, the seed grows in my life. But the problem is that is not at its essence. That is not what karma really is. We use the word karma, but to quote the great movie, The Princess Bride, Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And that's true of the word karma. We in our American Western culture throw the word karma around as a, a, a thing to say, oh, this is just the, the consequence of my actions. But that's not what karma really is. And words have meaning. In the Hindu teachings, the word karma refers to this idea that what we do in our previous life carries over into our next life, our current life. Everything good or bad, if we are receiving something good, it is the benefit of what we did in our past life. If we are doing something bad, it's because we are, if we're, we're suffering, it's because of something evil we did in our previous life. What we confuse karma with is actually a Christian teaching that is part of the design laws of God. And if you've been joining us in this study on the design laws of God, we have looked at how God has created the world, the universe, the seen world, and the unseen world to align with his principles for life and the different cycles of of, of prosperity and growth and development that God has. So for example, we talked about how everything that lives gives. That's the law of love. We see that in natural law which is found in like the the water cycle or the or the nitrogen cycle or even in our human bodies that if we live we have to give i have to give off carbon dioxide in order for plants to receive it to give off oxygen in order for me to receive it that is the the law of love at work we also talked about the law of freedom that says that relationships must have a free will and agency in order for them to be harmonious and grow. That when you remove liberty and create slavery, that rebellion or the destruction of identity happens. And we talked about how if I were not free to choose who I was in a relationship with, then I would want to rebel against it or I would sacrifice my identity. And God does not want us to do that. God gives us what we call agency. He gives us free will to make choices in our lives that God did not want robots. He wanted relationships and real love, the purest form of love can only come where there is choice. And we gave the caveat that there are times in our lives where we surrender on purpose certain freedoms to get something in return. For example, in our American culture here in the United States, we surrender certain freedoms to get protection. That I surrender my freedom with my ability to do things like, for example, I I pay my taxes. Well, in return, that those taxes pay for the government to operate, for roads to be built, for parks to be maintained, for trash to be removed, for schools to operate. All of these things are trade-offs.
that I give up some of my freedoms on purpose to trade and get something in return. But that's not slavery. That is a trade. But what we see is that we, if we take away liberty, it does not create love. If I were to you know, take in a romantic relationship and to take that person I love and to chain them up in my basement and say, I love you so much I could never let you leave. Well, that's not going to grow the love in their heart towards me. That's actually going to destroy it. So we see that's how the law of freedom works, that everything was created to operate in freedom where love and relationships can truly be harmonious. The third law we looked at in our last session together was the law of worship. And we saw how God created people to become like what they focus on. And he did that so we would focus on him and live a life of health and, and wellness inside of us. That in our lives, that by focusing on God, we find the best example for us to follow. And that we become like God in our character. Not that we can sit on the throne of creation and, and, and form galaxies and, and forgive sin and die for salvation. That, that's not what we do to become like God. We become like God in our character when we focus on him and his example. And so each of these laws has a positive and a negative. If we use them as they were intended, they lead to lives of, uh, lives of wellness and wholeness. But if we abuse them, they lead to lives of destruction and pain. So as we move into this fourth session together, we want to look at what we call the law of reaping and sowing. The law of reaping and sowing, that that is what we recognize that God has created life, the universe, and everything to fall into consequences, positive or negative. This is not the same as karma. Karma is connected to cycles of death and rebirth, of reincarnation. But what we confuse and label as karma is actually reaping and sowing. I mean, think about this in our lives. We see this in numerous ways. If I exercise regularly and I eat a healthy diet and I have proper nutritional supplementation, then my physical health, the consequence of that is that my physical health will be better. That's not a guarantee that I won't get sick. That's not a guarantee that I won't have physical injury. But it means that I am in greater physical health than somebody who does the opposite. What if I do the opposite? What if I begin to smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and eat a pound of bacon a day along with tons of carbohydrates and you know all of these you know, fatty foods and sugars in my life? Well, eventually, what if I develop type 2 diabetes? That would be a consequence of my actions. You see, that's the law of reaping and sowing at work. So how do we apply this into our lives? Well, the first thing we need to understand is reaping and sowing is not karma. What we use as karma, we say this phrase, what goes around comes around. The problem is that's not, not only is that not a Christian truth, we don't see any evidence for reincarnation. We don't have any evidence for past lives. There are some people that, that have these, these mystics and this new age you know, um, mindset of channeling or being mediums that can tap into the spiritual world, which is very dangerous stuff because there is an unseen world, but it's not what they say it is. There aren't all these spirits of the departed dead that linger here on the planet. That is all counterfeit. That is all false. That The scripture tells us to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We do not become tethered to this planet. We go to heaven where God is and we either spend eternity connected in life with him or we are 
you know, separated from him because we chose to reject a relationship with him. We do not linger here on this planet. That's a counterfeit. But what we have to recognize is we have this belief in this karma that what goes around comes around, but we don't always see it. I'll give you an example. Let's say that I join a drug cartel and I begin to start transporting and dealing drugs in my small town and I begin to make 500000 a million, $2 million a year and I never get caught. And I spend the rest of my life making and laundering millions of dollars and living the high life of, of the selfishness of this world and I never get caught. You would say, see that James, that the, the law of reaping and sowing doesn't work. But here's what we do see. We see, and once again, please let me give credit to Dr. Timothy Jennings' work and research on this, but he has done research to show that when we begin to do things that corrupt our character, it actually creates a callousness in our heart and our mind. That yes, we may not get, I may not get arrested and thrown in jail and physically punished for what I, me breaking the law, but I will suffer the consequences inside myself, in my character. It will corrupt who I am. It will corrupt my relationships. It will cause damage to me as a person and in my life, even if I don't suffer legal consequences. So what do we do with this? How do we ground this to scripture? Because not only do we see it in everyday life that we reap what we sow. I'll give you one more example and then we'll jump into the scriptures together. When I was in school, I was not the best student in that I didn't make the best grades. In high school, I was an honors student because my mom pushed for me to be in these programs, and I'm thankful she did, but I probably should not have been in honors classes. I was not near as academically gifted as my fellow classmates. As a result, to keep up with them, and make decent grade to make B's and every once in a while I'd make an A and every once in a while I'd make a C, but most of the time I was I was a, a mid mid B student, but I had to work hard to get those B's. Every day when I came home from school, I would have to spend two to three hours studying on top of my homework just to keep up. I had to attend tutoring sessions and to do constant work and I learned how to study, how to take notes, how to work hard just to make a B. Now in the beginning, that doesn't seem like there was much payoff. I mean, after all, I wasn't top of the class. I didn't get tons and tons of scholarships. I got a couple and they really helped, but had my parents not really assisted me, going to get my undergrad would not have been possible, my undergraduate degree. I would have had to have taken out a loan or something like that. But what happened when I finished high school and I went to college, a lot of my friends who had it very easy in school never had to study. They never had to work to get there. They never had to take notes. They never had to attend tutoring sessions. And many of them who did very well in high school did very poorly in college because they did not know how to do these things. You see, that's the law of reaping and sowing that as I went through college, it was still hard work, but I knew how to study. I knew how to take notes. I knew how to, to prepare for assignments and tests. And as a result, I not only finished my bachelor's degree, and my associate's degree, my bachelor's degree, I finished a master's degree and a doctorate. You see, this was not something to say, oh, look how great I am, but what I learned, what I, what I sowed in my high school years, I reaped in my adult years as a college student. You see, we reap what we sow. That's the law of sowing and reaping at work. What we invest in now pays long-term dividends. 
So where do we see this taught in Scripture? Well, one of the most important places in this week and next week, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Hebrews. Now, in the book of Hebrews, because we always want to read the Bible in context, the writer of Hebrews that most scholars agree is the Apostle Paul. We don't know 100% for sure, but even if it's not, it is a person writing to the Hebrew Christians, people who came from the Jewish faith and are now in the Christian faith. And he's helping them, the author is helping them connect their Jewish roots to their current Christian beliefs. Because there were some things that were very difficult for them to let go of and to quit paying attention to. Things like the law of circumcision, the dietary requirements, the worship requirements, the festivals and the sacrificial system was difficult for many Jewish Christians to give up as they embraced the Christian faith. And the writer is telling them that they need to learn how to mature in their faith, to dig deep into the teachings of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus, to live a life of fullness and maturity. And look at what he says in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. And this is going to be our anchor passage for this session and the next session. It says this, there's much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. The writer of the book of Hebrews is exhorting these Jewish Christians to say, quit being spoon-fed. You see, that was one of the things that was very common in the Jewish faith, that they would show up to listen to the rabbis and the synagogue leaders, the religious leaders, and they were spoon-fed. Most of them memorized the Torah, especially the young men, when they were boys. But as they got older, they were caught up in the things of life, and they were dependent on the rabbis to teach them the word of God. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, you should be able to do this for yourself at this point. But if, you're, if, I, if my children, and we talked about this in past episodes, so I won't beat this too, too heavily, but if my children are in their 20s and 30s and still need me to spoon feed them their food, to cut it up and to, to mash it up for them, because they can't chew and they can't cut and they can't do things on their own, we've got a problem of some kind. And like we said in that past episode on, on measuring maturity, please don't hear me insulting people that have physical or mental health struggles that cause them to need someone to do that for them. If a person is a quadriplegic or has a mental health situation that causes them to be unable to physically feed themselves, please don't hear what I'm not saying. This is a comparison to the normal, natural progression of maturity. But the same thing is true spiritually. As a believer who has been following after Jesus, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 10 years old, and at that point, I should have had an immature faith. That makes sense. But if now, 30 plus years later, if I still were dependent on other people to teach me the things of the faith, and I could not do it for myself, that would be immaturity. That would be a lack of development. That would be unhealth. Right? I would be an unhealthy Christian. And so I, if I'm mature, look at what the writer says in verse 14, that they had through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. That's the goal. Can we through training recognize right and wrong? 
How do we recognize what is right and what is wrong? Well, obviously we, we recognize it in God's word, but we also recognize it with evidence. God has given us the evidence to have a reasonable faith. When I look at my life, I look at all of this evidence that because I learned how to study in high school and middle school, it helped me as a college student. If I exercise regularly and eat a healthy diet, as I get older, my quality of life will be better. And so one more example that I noticed when I was in the Middle East, they don't have bathrooms that operate the same way we do in the West, that we don't have commodes the way we do. Some places do that have become westernized, but most of them simply have a hole in the floor and maybe a cleaned off spot for you to squat over that hole. And please forgive me if this is TMI for you, too much information. But one of the things I noticed is that older people in the Middle East had much better physical health than older people in the United States. And as I began to look at this, one of the guys I worked with said, yes, because every time we go to the restroom, we have to squat and we have to hold those muscles, our core muscles, our leg muscles, our glute muscles, you know, all of these things to hold our bodies upright to use the bathroom. And like you said, James, maybe that's, that's too much of a mental image. But if what if every time you had to use the restroom, you could not sit down and rest your weight on a commode toilet? What if you had to squat over a hole in the floor and use that type of toilet? a eastern toilet what would happen to your legs and your core and your quad muscles over time as you got older you would be in much better physical shape that is the law of sowing and reaping the years and years and years of physical exercise done to use the bathroom pays dividends in the long run you have to be silly but studies have shown that this is a major contributing factor to the greater physical health of middle easterners compared to westerners and so we reap what we sow. We see this in the world naturally. God has given us evidence. And we, through training, can have the maturity to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And why is this important? Because one of the things that we grow up believing is that karma means if I do something bad, I get punished for it. If I do something good, I get rewarded for it. Well, what that does, if we carry that over into the Christian faith, if we try to mash these together, it makes God into a punisher, God into a bully, God who wants to physically do us ill. But that's not God's heart. We see this, this is, this is a tale as old as time, so to speak. Look at John chapter 9. We've referenced this passage before. And, and in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Now that's a good question. Why would somebody be born with a physical disability? But their follow-up question is the problem. They say, was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? You see, they believed that the punishment was done because somebody sinned. That God punished this person because they had done something wrong against God's law. Jesus helps clarify their mind and their thinking by saying in verse 3, It's not because of his sins or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. You see, Jesus wanted to fix their belief set, their mindset, their worldview. That we don't believe in this karmic idea that, that God wants to punish us and that we suffer eternal consequences because of our sins and God wants to zap us. Now, do we, do we endure consequences? Absolutely. But not because God is the punisher, but because everything we sow, we reap for good or bad. 
that not because God wants to punish us, but because God gives us free will to make choices. Now, what if in my marriage, what if I began to break the law of love and the law of liberty? What if every day when I came home, I just plopped down on the couch and told my wife, you're the wife, you submit to me, I want you to do all the cooking, I want you to take care of all the cleaning, I want you to raise the children. After all, I worked all day today, and now I'm going to rest. And I'm not going to do anything to help around the house, and you're going to do all the work. Well, what did I just do? I forced my way of doing life on her. Now, there are plenty of homes that do that and, and operate peacefully because they both, the husband and the wife, agree to that model. But even so, it's still going to create struggles within the family because marriage is meant to be a partnership, not a rulership. Partnership means we are equal in this together. And while maybe the, the, the money part may come from greater ends from one spouse or the other, and maybe the homemaking work may be done greater by one person or the other, we do it as a team. And what's going to happen to my relationship slowly over time if I don't reinforce my love for my spouse? Eventually, I'm going to take away her freedom, and love is going to stop being given back because I'm, all I'm doing is taking, I'm not giving, and our relationship is going to die. You reap what you sow. I am planting seeds of distrust, seeds of hate, seeds of anger, seeds of, seeds of sadness and bitterness, and those are all going to grow into a garden of destruction in our relationship. What if on the other hand, I come home from a long day of work and I see that my wife has, has just been just been working with our kids and she's done all these things. Hey, look, and, and I pitch in and I don't do everything because there's just not enough time. But maybe I cook dinner and I do the dishes and I fold and put away some laundry that she had washed and I help tutor the kids with their homework. What does that do in the heart of my spouse? Oh, man, hopefully it's planting seeds of love where maybe she doesn't like swoon and fawn over me. Oh, honey, I love you so much. Thank you so much for that. Because hopefully that's an everyday occurrence. But what happens over time? Well, hopefully seeds of trust grow. Seeds of, of love and, and de develop in our lives where gratitude and appreciation develop into mature love that we can endure the hardships of life and the ups and downs like we said in our vows for better and worse, richer and poorer. So what do we do with this? Look at this familiar passage. This is where we get this from in Galatians chapter 6. Paul, writing to the church community in Galatia, is telling them about their lives and their lifestyle. And he says this in verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. What is God's justice? God's justice is the balance and the consequence of our actions. It says, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now remember, life in God's kingdom is not physical life. That doesn't mean that we don't ever die physically. It means that we are forever connected to God. Death in God's economy is separation from God. And they're saying that when we plant these seeds, they, they, they grow into connection with God and His character. So what do we do with this? We have to recognize that God has created a system whereby we can live in harmony. This isn't karma, but it is the law of sowing and reaping. I want to close with one example, and, and as we get ready to wrap up our time together, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole parable. But if you were to read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, you would read 
Jesus telling the parable of who we call the prodigal son. A prodigal is a person that breaks the tradition and goes and rebels against the law and does things their own way. It's a rebel. And this prodigal son does these crazy outlandish things and asks his dad for his inheritance while his dad's still alive. Basically, he says, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. And he's the younger son. And so he receives, of the two sons, the oldest son receives two-thirds of the inheritance, and he gets a third. So the younger son is given his third of the inheritance, and he spends it all on wild living. And you know how the parable goes. Eventually, when he comes to his census and his poverty, he returns home, and amazingly, the father welcomes him home and doesn't make him a slave, restores him to sonship. And that's usually the focus of the parable is, look, you're never too far gone to come back home. That is true. But there's a part of the parable that goes unsaid that we often leave off. The younger son did not get another inheritance. He had already spent it. The younger son did not get to have another season where the father gives him his investment back. That's the consequence. He had already blown that inheritance. And so he would have to prepare for his later years in life a different way. He would have to make investments and work hard, maybe create a business, something like that. But he would not be able to receive a second inheritance. You see, you and I, even if God forgives us, he doesn't forgive us from the consequences of our actions. And that's important. That's the difference between karma and the law of sowing and reaping, that we reap what we sow, we harvest what we plant. So what does that mean for you and I today? Well, first, let's get off of this word of karma. I know it's ingrained in our culture, but we don't live numerous lives. We live one life. And in this one life, we reap what we sow for good or for bad. So as we close our time together, I want to ask you not only to get rid of the word karma, but also what are you sowing in your life? What positive things, physically, mentally, and spiritually, are you planting in your life that you want to see grow? Financially, do you want to retire one day? Well, you need to make wise investments. Physically, do you want to continue your physical health? You need to be investing your physical health in exercise and eating well. But spiritually, do you want to grow your spiritual life? What are you investing in? Are you reading God's word? Are you living a life where you see spiritual fruit? Are you devoting yourself to God's lifestyle, that kingdom culture? Because you reap what you sow, what we plant, we harvest. That's not God punishing us. That is God's system for the world, naturally and spiritually. So I pray this blesses you and helps encourage you. Until next time, hey, be blessed. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We pray that God uses it to inform your mind, improve your life, and ignite your heart with a renewed passion to impact others for the kingdom of God. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue along with us on this journey of restoration living.